Well, hey, it's good to be together this morning. Um, if you're a guest with us, whether online or in, in person, my name's Dominic, and uh, grateful that we get to be together in this space to, to worship Jesus this morning. I hope everyone had yeah, a great Thanksgiving. Uh, how many guys, four-day weekend? Guys, gals, four-day weekend? Good so far? Yeah, solid? Okay, good. I, um, if I'm being honest, ours, ours was a mixed bag. Um, Thanksgiving Day itself was really great. Got to be together with my wife's family, uh, who are all here local. Um, the day after was, was all right, and then it went south. Um, we're, we got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a six-and-a-half-year-old. And they're both kind of in this phase where it's like the battle and the fight for attention all the time. And the three-and-a-half-year-old's in this phase where it's like you put anything in front of him for a meal, and he's just like ungrateful the moment it hits the plate. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I asked for. I don't need that. I'm not eating that. And it's this, it's this horrible wrestling. And then you have the six-and-a-half-year-old who is really intelligent, really kind, but he starts giving this advice, both to the three-and-a-half-year-old and to us, in, like, in the midst of that conversation. And you're like, oh, I love you, but please be quiet because this is so not helpful. And he thinks it's so helpful. Like, he's dishing out this wisdom of you know, what should happen and how to diffuse this situation and offers these advice and these things. And so that was pretty much what was happening Friday evening at dinner and all that. And so we're like, okay, get him in the bath and we'll just get him going. And... It was peaceful. You get them in the bath and it's peaceful, right? They're, they're contained and it's quiet and all of that. But all of a sudden, we pull the plug on the bath and all of a sudden there's this, there's this noise. There's this like siren. <laughs> My wife's running around the house like, what is that? What is that? And I'm like, I don't know. What, I don't know. So we're running from closet to closet. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, that's coming from below this closet down in our basement. Well, the prior owners of our home, they had left us this little water alarm. It's this little puck. And it's got these two metal contacts on the bottom. And when both of those two metal contacts touch water and the electricity goes through the water, it closes the circuit and the alarm goes off. So I run downstairs and I find this thing in two inches of water, both in the downstairs bathroom and in the laundry room. And I'll spare you the details of what I saw and what I smelled, but I'll just tell you it wasn't clean water. What happened, unfortunately, is that our sewer line backed up and we had no idea. All the water we've been using all day was just overflowing in the sink in the bathtub down there, and I, I just about lost it. I'm so frustrated and just going, oh my gosh, I'm pulling up my pants trying not to get all wet. And of course, the six-year-old comes and runs to the top of the stairs, and he's like, what do we do? Here's what we need to do. And then the three-and-a-half-year-old comes, and he gives his input, and Christine's like, what are we going to do? And I was like, okay, just give me a minute. And I, I kid you not, and I'm not trying to say this to be pious or to say anything, but it's in moments like these where I'm so thankful for the ministry of God's word and God's spirit to us. And I hear in my voice, or I hear in my mind, just the words of Isaiah 43, 2 that say this. They say, do, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. <laughs> and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. The verse goes on and says something else. It says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. But all I heard was just that beginning. When you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And it allowed me just for a moment to have enough to keep my head, to be able to interact with the th my boys and my wife in a way that, because you know what I'm saying? Like in that moment, I, literally, I, just, I was either going to cry or I was going to like just scream or do both. And it wasn't going to be good. Do you know what I'm saying? But there was just enough grace in that moment to get through. I mean, my, my, head, my lid had flipped. You know what I mean? But there was just enough grace in that moment, thankfully, from God, that just when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. <laughs> and I'm thinking literally for the next four, four and a half hours, as I'm 
calling Roto-Rooter. I now know what Roto-Rooter does, by the way. I didn't know before. And I now know how much they charge. And oh my goodness, okay? But literally, I'm sitting there in that four and a half hours up until midnight dealing with this thing, like literally talking with God going, like, is this the type of water that you're talking about, really? Like, is, is this what you meant when you said, when I pass through the water, you'll be with me? That, that when I go through the river, like, I, I won't be overwhelmed? You, literally, when, when the, the stuff of life is floating by, or you're standing in it two inches deep or, or, or higher, you guys know what I'm talking about? But it was that promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Today is November 28th. It's a Sunday. That means it's the closest Sunday to November 30th, and that means that today is the first Sunday of Advent. <laughs> Advent, um, if you're not familiar with it, um, happens every year. And again, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And the purpose and the point of it, as instituted through the, the early church, was to help us prepare our hearts to receive a gift. The greatest gift ever given, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of God's only Son incarnate, born of a flesh to a virgin, to be on this earth with us. A miracle, miraculous, kind of ridiculous almost if you think about it. But in Advent, what we do is we take time to, to prepare and acknowledge that, that we need a Savior, that we need God to come and be with us in the midst of the stuff of life, again, whether it's two inches deep or whether it's much greater. And I'll even acknowledge what, what I was dealing with, like, First world problem, big deal kind of, right? There, there's so much bigger stuff going on in this world than, than what I was dealing with. But the reality is that that's, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. The, the common themes of Advent are um, hope and love and joy and peace. And we're going we're gonna to do that traditional route these, these next four weeks. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about peace. And we're going to talk about it within this context. This year, I really felt... Um, just that God wants us to talk about this, that the reality that we're created to live in communion or union with God. That, that, that's, that's what we're actually created for. We were created to live in communion or union with God. Now, we don't always feel that way all the time. We'll talk about that. But yet, that's the reality. That's what we were created for. And so, as we jump into this first week of Advent and talk about hope, I want to talk about it with, within that context the fact that we were created to live in union or communion with God, and talk about how, again, this, this Advent season uh, prepares us to, to engage that uh, with depth, with meaning. Uh, I'll give you a warning up front. A lot of the passages we're going to look at, both today and maybe even in the next four weeks, they're not going to be your typical, traditional, like, Christmas passage uh, stories, if you will. For some of you, you're like, oh, thank God. For others, you're like, oh, that's not okay. That's got to be, you know, traditional, whatever. But I think, again, the heart of what I feel like God was saying this year is we just, we got to learn how to, how to engage us a little, a little different, a little deeper. Because I think one of the realities is this. One of the things I always, I was telling the team, one of the things I always wrestle with at Advent is that, like, I, I don't know how to fake stuff. I don't, I don't know how to do, like, drama. Um, I know I get dramatic sometimes, but that's just because it's coming out of me. But, like, I don't know how to pretend. And so, like, this thought that, like, Advent is supposed to be either theatrical or theoretical, like, preparing of our hearts to receive baby Jesus being born again. Ah, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. But what Advent does is it reminds us that, yes, baby Jesus really did come. But also, he grew up to be a savior, a king who's coming again. And so Advent reminds us that we stand today in this present time, again, with the stuff of life floating all around us, 
Christ has already come, born in the flesh, born of a virgin, born to grow up to become a savior, a king, the king of kings and the lords of lords who is one day coming back for us. And we sit in the middle, in that longing, in that wrestling, in that reality, and we need the reminder over and over again that though you walk through the waters, I will be with you. You track with me? Is that all right? Can we talk about some real stuff? So here we go. Hope within the context of this reality, this truth from Scripture, that we were created to live in communion or union with God. I want to start with Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Um, you're, you're familiar with it. This is, you know, God is in the beginning uh, already created the, the, the earth. He's already created the animals. He's already created the plants. He's created all the everything. Um, and yet, he's only said it's good. It's not very good yet because there was still something that needed to be done. And so, in verse 26, it says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant of food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was now very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. There's a lot, you've probably heard about this a lot, we could go into. There's a lot that's true, that's deep, that's needed to be talked about here, and it often is. I think the point that I, I want to make this morning, um, not just as a proof text, but in looking at this, is the reality that not only was man created in the image and likeness of God, but again, this is showing us that from the very beginning, man was created to live in communion with God. Man was created to live in partnership with God, in union. When I say communion or union, what I'm talking about is this intimate exchange of ideas, of thoughts, of feelings, of emotions, of language, of even of sharing of tasks, right? Do you see that here? This is God, creator of everything, created all, everything that we know, everything that's recorded here, and all of a sudden he creates man as the pinnacle of his creation, and he says to them, everything that I have, I'm now giving it to you. You and me together, stewarding this thing in union, Sharing again of words, of thoughts, of emotions, of feelings, of everything, so that this thing turns out to be what, what I created it for. And so that you remain and become what I created you to become. Someone who flourishes in my love, in the tasks I give you to do, in communion and union with me. Now we know that this gets all messed up, right? And we know that right now, again, we sometimes walk and swim in the life, the stuff of life because this got all messed up. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time there. But I want to look at the very end. If that's the very beginning of, of this, this text, this holy scripture, the word of God that he's given us, I want to look now at something at the end. In Revelation 21, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, we get a different picture, a new picture, uh, a new heaven, a new earth, we're even told. And it says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The one that God created that we messed up, it had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. As I read that, as you hear that, what do you feel? What are the thoughts? What are the emotions? For me, my heart just goes, oh God, when? Oh God, please. Oh Lord, how much longer? Because I read that and I realize and I'm reminded that I was created, you were created, we were created to live in union and communion with the living God. And I long for it. Friends, I long for it. So hope, what does that look like? What does that mean? So I think God gives us this picture. He shows us what the end is like. He shows us what the beginning was, and he shows us what the end was like, and we know the middle. We know the story, and we know our story that's part of that bigger story, and we're living in the middle of it. And it's hope. We need hope. But here's what hope is. See, I think sometimes we often think as Christians, or even just as people living in this world, we get confused, and we think that hope is just like wishful thinking, right? I mean, I, I say it a ton. I, I'm trying to catch myself. I, I hope you have a great day. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the food that I made you. I don't know if you will. Your taste might be different than mine. I, I hope you do well. I hope, things, I hope you had a good trip, right? You know what I'm saying? Like hope. It's this, it's this wishful thinking. But we have to realize that when we actually hope as as the world, or even as like Webster it defines it, it's, it's defined this way, to trust in, to wait for, to desire something or someone, to expect something beneficial in the future. Like when I say that to someone, and we say that, I hope, like we do want their good, right? But the reality is we have to acknowledge that we're actually, we have no control over whether or not it's going to take place. That's hope in the world. That's hope in the, again, Webster's dictionary kind of context. Hope is we often talk about it. But what is hope within the context of this picture that God has given us, that we were created to live in union or community with God. Now, that's what I want to talk about today, is that hope in the biblical context, hope in this biblical narrative and story, it exists as a secure assurance. It's a trust placed in a trustworthy God. It's a secure assurance. It's a trust placed in a trustworthy God, meaning this. God has never failed to keep his word in the past. And therefore, if he claims he's going to do something in the future, we can have hope that he's going to fulfill that claim. So as we sit in the middle of the stuff of life, a life that hasn't turned out as we always expected or hoped it would, there is a greater hope that supersedes all of that. There is a greater hope that can undergird all of that. There is a greater hope that can run and flow through all of that, even as the stuff of life is floating and flowing around us. And this hope is founded in a promise. See, at the beginning of Revelation, in chapter 1, I told you we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures that you're going, How does this have, what does this have to do with Christmas or Easter or Advent or preparing my heart for any of this? Not Easter, what am I talking about? Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, this is John, and it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits are who, who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us 
from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. See, again, God gives us this picture and this proclamation, this declaration, this promise that Jesus, the one who was born as a baby, again, didn't remain that way. He didn't stay that way, but he grew up to be a servant, to be the Savior, to be a king. He grew up to be a faithful witness. The one who died, and now this says here, was the firstborn among the dead who rose again. And that he is the ruler over every king in this earth. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who's freed you from your sins. He's the one who made us, us to be a kingdom. Priests to God. Priests are those who help make God known, right? Who, who make God knowable to other people through the explaining of the things of God, through their lives, through the word, through scripture. Priests to God and his Father, and to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Verse 8, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. I am the God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. See, Advent again reminds us and invites us to stand in the tension of that reality. That he's the God who was, he's the God who is now, and he is the God who is to come. And what does that mean? See, hope is found in this promise for us, amidst all the stuff of life, because hope is found in a person. Again, when we talk usually about hope, it's, it's in kind of these theoretical things or these things that we can't control, kind of almost arbitrary, almost inanimate. Hope, in terms of the biblical context, it's found in a person. It's found in Jesus, the one who came and who was the firstborn among the dead. It's through the incarnation that we're restored in communion with God. It's, it's through the incarnation. It's through the birth of Jesus. It's through what we will celebrate in a few, a few weeks on Christmas that actually God did the most amazing thing in terms of restoring us to live in the communion and the union that we were created to live in. And that without his coming, without his birth, it's not possible for you and I to live in the hope that we have today. I want to read from you a verse in, in Isaiah. This is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And this is uh, about 700 B.C. So this is about 200 or so years prior to what we had just walked through, what we looked in when we were going through the book of Nehemiah. And the people of God, Israel, um, of course, they're being stubborn. <laughs> of course, they're being stiff-necked here in, in Isaiah. And, and they're craving the things of the world. They want everything that the world has, just like the world has it. They're about to be... Um, defeated by the Assyrians. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this stuff of their life, there's a word that comes to them to remind them who they are and the hope that they have. Through the prophet, God says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Again, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the stuff of life, the grace of God to give a proclamation and a reminder that the people were actually created to live in communion and union with God. It's the exact word that they needed at their time and at their place to be reminded hundreds of years, almost a thousand years before it would happen, that God has not forgotten God has not left. God has not taken his eyes away. 
God's heart and devotion has not moved nor shifted away. God sees, God hears, God knows, God is present, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. This is hope. That's the hope that they needed 700 years before Christ would even come. It was a hope they'd have to wait for, yes. It was a hope that they would long for, yes. But for 700 years, through the stuff of life, it was the hope that they needed to know and to remember, to be reminded that God was with them, that they were still created to live in communion and unity with God, and God was the one that was going to make it happen. God was going to make it possible. I want to read for you what the, the gospel writer John writes about the birth of, of Emmanuel. In John chapter 1, John writes this. He says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John speaks of the Son of God. He speaks of the eternal Son of God as the Word. This Word that was, again, with God. This Word that created all things. This, this Word that was there in the garden with God that spoke and that breathed life and breathed breath into the dirt and created and made us so that you and I could live in communion, in union with God. And this, this, this word contained within him was light, was life. A light that cannot be overcome by darkness. A life that cannot be overcome by death. And John goes down further in, in verse 9 and he says, The true light which enlightens everything was coming into the world. So this light, this life, this word that existed always with God, is God himself, actually came into the world. And he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because I feel like my job this morning, I feel like what God has put on my heart for us for today and for this season is to remind you over and over again, no matter how many times it needs to be, that you were created to live in union and community with God. The God who created everything. And though we mess it up time and time again, he constantly is the one that initiates and comes towards us to make it possible so that we can be in that place of union and communion with him again. This word, this eternal word that was God, that is God, that was life, that is life, that was light, that is light, that created all things, it says he came to live among us. <laughs> of his initiative, of his heart, of his choosing, of his will, his movement, his grace and truth moving towards us to remind us to put flesh on this reality so that, again, the concept of God wouldn't just be theoretical or theatrical, but a reality, tangible, God with us, you and me. In the flesh. And for us, yes, now through his spirit. I love here, too, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to talk about glory for a second, because I think, again, when we talk about hope, and hope not just being, again, like wishful thinking, but hope being an assured, something certain, putting our trust in a trustworthy God, we've got to talk a little bit about glory here, because it's associated with this context of, of God being with us, us being in relationship with God. Glory in the biblical context, and in the Hebrew word, it's this word kabod, kabod. I'm not sure I even pronounce it right. It's one of those, kabod, kabod, okay? But what it means is, is, is weight, weightiness. What it means is, is substance. Meaning, God came in the flesh to reveal his glory. Meaning what? To reveal just how weighty and how substantial he is. Meaning, when he's there, or when something substantial is there, like you know it's there and you can't miss it. Do you know what I'm saying? So in the context of hope, again, hope often is... <laughs> Wishful thinking, like, you're gra- I, again, I hope you have a great day. I hope this happens. I hope you, you, have no, you have no assurance of that. You have no certainty of that. You, you're out of total control as to whether or not that thing is going to happen or not. But hope within this context of understanding that we were created to live in communion or u- in unity with God, and God himself coming in the flesh, Jesus coming and being born, the living eternal word coming and taking on flesh to be among us, to reveal the glory, the weightiness, the substance of God, Church, I want something real to hope in. I don't know about you. I want something of substance to believe in. I want something of substance to hope in. I want something that's weighty that I can count on, that I can plan on. Something that, that, that's so weighty, that's so significant, that actually it changes my reality. So that again, when I'm standing there in the middle of the stuff of life, there's this reality and this promise, this word that comes by the grace of God that says, when you walk through the water, I will be with you. And when you pass through the floodwaters, I am there. It will not overwhelm you. It shall not harm you. Those words are weighty. Those words are substantial. And I believe you you and I need something weighty in this season. We need something glorious. The world after two years, the world in this season needs something weighty. It needs something substantial. It needs something it can feel, something that it can count on, something that it can stand on, something that's far more than, hey, I hope you have a nice day. Hey, I, I hope, I hope, I hope these wishful thoughts that are grounded in nothing. You guys, God created you and I to live in communion with him. And he's made it possible through the birth of his son, through the virgin, prophesied hundreds of years before it even happened. He fulfilled that word. It came true. He's a trustworthy God. And so hope is for us to put our trust in a trustworthy God. It gives us assurance that we've got something that we can count on. That we're not alone in the midst of this world. That he is with us. That he is for us that he knows us. And I love what Paul says in, in the book of Titus. He calls this our, our blessed hope, that we get to have a, a blessed hope. I want to I read that, that for you. In Titus, he writes this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared. The word became flesh. The virgin gave birth to a child. 
The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, Paul talks about this hope that we have, this this weighty assurance that we have, this substantial truth that we can build our lives on. And what Paul says is when you have that, it actually not only gives you hope for the future that's grounded in the the promises and faithfulness of God from the past, but he says it transforms your present. It changes where you are and who you are right now. It actually, it gives you in the world, in the midst of the stuff of life, and to be able to discern and look and go, okay, th- this, this, this is leading me to that future hope, this is leading me to that future promise, or this is not, and I can, I can now know how to navigate that. He says it helps us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I don't want to belabor my, my analogy or my illustration, but again, when I'm standing there that night, I needed self-control more than anything, because I already told you I was about to lose it. But having the grace of God and this promise that when you pass through the waters, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. You were created to live with me, in relationship with me, and here I am coming to you by grace to tell you, I'm with you. It allows me to have self-control. It allows me not just to live off of my lid being flipped and off of my feelings, my emotions, what I want, what I desire, but to live with substance, with stability, with something substantial. Waiting for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous for good works. Missy, I want to end and close with this. You belong to God. You're God's possession. Paul says here that this blessed hope, this, this assurance that we have, it reminds us that we are God's possession. Again, that you were created to live in union and communion with God. You belong to him. That he loves you, he sees you. No matter what is happening, no matter what you're passing through, that, that verse in Isaiah, after saying that as you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God loves you, and he holds you, and his desire is to, is to protect you. It doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean hard things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean there won't be trials and tribulations and struggles and sufferings. Those are there. That's part of the promise as well. But the promise is that even in the midst of all of that, you belong to him. And he sent his son into this world to remind you and to declare to you in this season and in this time that you're his, that he loves you. And so this morning, we're, we're going to take communion. Again, I know that might sound weird or kind of off as we think about hope 
as we think about Advent, as we think about the birth of Christ. But today's the, the last Sunday of the month, and it's been our tradition now since we've come into this new normal that on the last Sunday is, is when we take communion. And so I hope you got one of these as you walked in. If you didn't, I'd, I'd invite you to grab it. But even this, this morning, as we take and we hold the, this cup and this wafer, for us to be reminded that this, this is your hope. This is your blessed hope. This, this is the promise. This is substantial. This, this right here is, is you, in a sense, holding the glory of God, Christ himself. Come into this world to remind you that when you walk through the waters, I am with you. That though you pass through the fires, you shall not be burned. Because you belong to God. And he came into this world and he took on flesh and he walked among us and he died on the cross and he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sent the Spirit to remind you that you are his and to give you a hope as we navigate all the stuff of life. And so for our closing worship this morning, Missy, I'm going to light this morning the candle of hope. And I'm going to invite you to sit with me and to listen to a song that's played, and to meditate upon the scripture of Isaiah 43.2. We'll take this together in a little bit, but I want to invite you just to a moment of, of silence, a moment of stillness. See, through Advent, we light candles to remind us that, that he is the light that came into the world, a light that can't be overcome by the darkness. And again, to give us a, a tangible reminder of, of God's presence with us. And so as I light that candle of hope, I invite you to Look at it, stare at it, consider it, if you will, if it helps you remember that God is present with you in the midst of the flood, the fire. Or to sit and to allow your mind to, to read over and contemplate on that verse. Or to listen to uh, the, the instrumental music that will be played. But I'd invite you, Monsieur, to, to think about this. What, what is God saying to you this morning about hope? about where you've been placing your hope and about where true hope is found? How is God inviting you to live with a greater sense of, of substance, a greater sense of weightiness, a greater sense of, of something substantial, knowing who you are and that you have a great and blessed hope in Jesus Christ alone? And maybe it's praying and saying, God, give me wisdom, then, if that's true, give me wisdom to navigate these things. Give me strength and courage to walk through these things. Give me a discerning ear and mind to, to hear your grace for me and to me in these moments that are overwhelming and that are crazy. But I invite you yeah, to sit and to listen, and then we'll take communion together in, in a couple minutes.